Jackstraw's recent comments regarding the wearing of veils by Muslim women has ignited a fierce debate about multiculturalism, religious identity and community relations. Dr. Hellyer is an Associate Fellow of the Centre for Research into Ethnic Relations at the University of Warwick. Dr. Hellyer, in an already heated environment, Jack Straw's comments have created a firestorm. Is this debate about the veil, or are we exploring deeper divisions here between communities? I think that we're exploring a lot more than that, to be quite honest. We're exploring the divisions between communities, in a sense, and that is very obvious from the way that the media has pounced on this in the aftermath of Jack Straw's statement. But I think we're also discussing uh, the the amount of power that Jack Straw has in defining a, a debate, the amount of power that other politicians have in defining a national debate, and the very negative power that some of these communities have in entering that debate and entering that discussion. Um, and I think that that's something very important for us to consider when we look at the recent controversy over the niqab or the face veil. Um, when Jack Straw spoke, uh, simply him speaking is an expression of his power. Um, what happened when he spoke? There were dozens of articles in that regional paper that he wrote about the niqab in, but no one is talking about anything other than what he wrote. Um, one could argue that this was because it's an issue that many people feel strongly about, but there are many issues that many people feel strongly about. Jack Straw and other politicians like him wield immense power as a politician and as a member of, of government. When someone uses that power, um, which is uh, obviously very, uh, very great against a weaker force, we have a name for that. We call it bullying. And Jack Straw's power cannot be overestimated when considering this particular national debate. For those of us who don't understand the significance here, can you explain the importance of the veil in terms of um, Islamic faith and why people feel so strongly about it? Uh, well, I'm not a religious expert. Um, I study the, the Muslim community in the UK and elsewhere within Europe, so I'm going to have to be quite brief on that particular topic. But uh, in general, there are a few things I'd like to say. The first is, is that the, uh, there are two different types of covering in, uh, in the Muslim community when it comes to uh, the ladies. The first is the headscarf, which is known as the hijab, um, which has become almost a mainstay in certain parts of the UK. Um, and the other is the face veil, which is known as niqab. And this is what Jack Straw was talking about. This is what other people have been mentioning over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, I think before we go any further than that, because we're having a discussion about what is appropriate in British society and what is not appropriate in British society and so on and so forth, uh, we need to keep in mind two things. First of all, these, uh, these ladies that are wearing the face veil are in fact British citizens. They haven't broken any law. They pay their taxes. They are holders of British passports. And uh, I haven't seen any indication that they are looking to use the face veil as some, uh, some political expression defining their cultural or political apostasy from the UK. Uh, they've made a choice, and it's a choice that we may not agree with um, as members of the majority, but it's also a choice that is uh, disputed within the Muslim community itself. This, this discussion that Jack Straw uh, sort of brought to the national forefront is a discussion that's been going on in the British Muslim community for a couple of decades now, uh, because although the niqab is an expression of modesty, it's not an expression of 
violence or extremism or whatever else the, uh, the new pundits have decided to claim it as in recent weeks. It's an expression of modesty, but it's also an expression of modesty that may not achieve that in a culture such as our own, where covering the face is not construed as a as an, uh, as a, a modest sort of action. So it's a discussion that is ongoing, and it's ongoing actually throughout the Muslim world. Um, but that's a discussion that needs to be left to the Muslim community to carry on in their own way and in their own time using their own methods, because they do have those methods. But at the moment, it doesn't seem like they have that opportunity to interact in their own private spaces, in their own safe spaces for those sorts of discussions. Instead, they turn on the TV and they turn on the radio and they see how minister after minister is jumping into the fray, is attacking the Muslim community on various types of issues. You had uh, one of the, uh, the peers in the House of Lords just a few days ago talking about how it's now open season on the Muslim community in the United Kingdom. And I think that that's not an unfair comment to make in light of the uh, the tremendous attention that the media, and this is another type of power that we haven't really mentioned yet, the, the power of the media to define what is going on in people's heads. Um, just to give a very uh, brief example, we're having this discussion about Naqab. Um I don't see any of the main news outlets, whether newspapers, radio, or television, talking about the recent far-right plot to, uh, to attack several targets within the UK. This is a terrorist plot, but the media didn't cover it. It is selective. And we know what would have been the case had the, uh, had the plot been uh, planned by Muslims. Are we dealing with a religious issue or a cultural issue? It depends on the reason why the lady chooses to wear it. Because, for example, you could have people who pray for cultural reasons. But prayer is a religious requirement as far as religion goes, correct? But you could have people who intend, by doing it, to exhibit an attachment to a particular cultural community. And then you can have other people who are doing it because they, they want to reach God or they want to have a spiritual experience. I don't know. But and insofar as this particular issue, the naqab, is a cultural issue, um, nobody could really say that because it has a basis within uh, classical explanations of Islamic law. It's not... Um, comparable to the hijab because the hijab is almost universally accepted as um, as something that an observant Muslim woman should do in the same way uh, that there are other uh, rules and uh, expressions uh, that Muslims carry out on a daily basis. The niqab is not one of those things. And you have uh, lots of discussion about whether or not it should be worn or shouldn't be worn, but you have that amount of discussion because there is that sort of leeway for discussion. You don't really have that much uh, that uh, that much discussion about the hijab because even uh, the uh, the many Muslim women who even within their own societies don't wear the hijab, they don't they don't claim that it's not part of the religion uh, or it's not part of the obligatory uh, observances of the religion. In the same way that even many people who do not pray within Muslim communities do not claim, well, prayer isn't actually uh, part of Islam. Um, niqab is a different sort of issue because although it has a religious basis, it's differed upon on whether or not it should be worn or shouldn't be worn. But it has a religious basis. As to whether it's cultural or not, that depends on the intention of the person who's actually wearing it. 
and it could go both ways. But I can't say that it's not a religious uh, a religious uh, expression um, unless I'm able to look at the intention of the person who's wearing it. Hmm. I suppose in some ways it's it's a similar situation to, uh, you know, I suppose you look in the Christian faith, the dress of a nun is a similar case. Um, it's just that that's, it, it's less visible. Well, here's the thing. Um, a woman in hijab could be much less noticeable than a nun. Okay, because a nun actually has a uniform. It, it is actually a uniform. Whereas uh, the hijab is not so much a uniform and can take many different forms. And throughout my travels in the Muslim world, I've seen many different types of ways of, uh, of wearing the hijab. Mm. And uh, often uh, often it's, it doesn't look something out of the ordinary at all. Uh, I mean, you can see this there, but it's not something that strikes you. Mm. Um, and particularly in the UK, you can see uh, many examples of it. I mean, uh, at the university, we have women wearing hijab all the time, mm. um, but they don't look that much different, even though we can see that they are covering their hair. Um, and it doesn't seem that much different to us because we are from the UK, we are living in the UK, and the nun is, you know, a part of our cultural heritage. And we don't have a problem with that. We, it doesn't, you know, ring off any bells in our head. Whereas the niqab as a face veil is not something that we are traditionally used to in the past hundred years or so. Before that, it's a different story. Because uh, whether historians like to get involved in these sorts of political discussions or not, there is a precedent within British culture for ladies, particularly ladies of high class, to cover their face except in the company of close family. We do have that tradition within the UK and within Europe in general. Um, we've lost that, as we've lost many other things in, uh, in the UK and elsewhere in Europe over the past few hundred years, but you know, that's history. We have a debate going on about the Islamic dress, but at the same time we then have a parallel d debate going on regarding the display of religious um, insignia for, uh, within a British Airways context. The hostess who was criticised for wearing um, a cross. Are, are these part of the same argument here, or should we be seeing these in, in, as, as different cases? I think they're different cases for a number of reasons. First of all, let me make it quite clear that in terms of the dismissal of the lady for wearing a cross, I think that that is uh, completely bizarre. Um, when did wearing um, a cross, and I saw the cross, it's not a, not a huge cross that the lady is lugging around on her back. Um, this is just a simple piece of jewelry that she's got around her neck. When did that ever become an issue for anybody? Um, even members of other faiths that use British Airways, I can't recall it ever being so. Um, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be very happy if the same approach had been taken in that case uh, that had been taken vis-a-vis uh, -vis the niqab. And I don't mean that they would come out and censure the lady for wearing the, the cross. I mean that the ministers or any other politician, for that matter, would come out and say anything about the case whatsoever. These cases um, will be taken to court. They will be taken to employment tribunals. And the employment tribunals or the courts or uh, the arbitration committees need to come to a decision that is fair, that is unbiased, and isn't... Uh, it doesn't succumb to undue pressure from uh, political personalities that do wield a lot of power in defining that debate. If uh, Tony Blair comes out tomorrow and says something about this court case, it will have a bearing on the court case. 
it would be very difficult for a jury to come to any unbiased sort of uh, ruling or in fact he may decide to go completely the other extreme because he said something in the first place. But that's one of the, uh, the the differences that I wanted to bring up. The other is, is that there's, uh, and this is something very important, these two cases are not equal. And when I say they're not equal, it's not that I prefer uh, one of the religious symbols to another. Uh, I mean it's not equal in the sense that the lady who has been suspended uh, for taking off, sorry, for not taking off her cross, and the lady who has been suspended for not uh, taking off the naqab. These two individuals do not come from equal communities within the British society. Not, I'm not talking about demographically, because if this was the case about, for instance, the yarmulke, uh, which is the, uh, the Jewish skullcap, um, and the cross, and you could argue that there would be some sort of parity, because the Jewish community, even though it's a it's a tiny minority in our country, much less so, I think about 10% the size of the Muslim community, it does operate on a par with other communities within this country. Um, that's owing to history. That's owing to certain cultural capital that they've accumulated. That's also owing to the uh, the media and to uh, other things within our society that define in real terms, not in legal terms, but in real terms, in day-to-day terms, how we relate to people that we don't recognize as being you know, exactly the same as us. The Muslim community doesn't have all of that capital, and on the, on the contrary, it has opposite capital. It has negative capital. It has uh, news stories erupting every day about how you know, this happened here or this happened there, about Muslims doing this or Muslims doing that, to the point where in every sector of society, Muslim communities uh, in their very struggling sort of infrastructure and organizations that they've managed to put together over the last few decades are all saying we suffer from some sort of discrimination. You have lawyers talking about how they suffer from discrimination because they have Muslim names. You have academics that refuse to actually come out and say that they're Muslim. I know that for a fact because uh, I did some research on this earlier on in my academic career and I found that a lot of academics did not reveal that they were Muslim. Um, uh, those that converted just kept their old English names uh, or rather their non-Muslim names and uh, they didn't ever reveal it because they feared that it would um, negatively impact on their careers and you have it in education you have it in all sorts of fields of, uh, of you know, human existence within the UK uh, put, putting all of that into context yes, these two, th- these two types of cases are not equal because they don't come from equal communities but don't they represent some of the same issues in terms of politicians are concerned around um, social cohesion and uh, you know building community, strong community relations? And isn't the difficulty that this kind of religious symbiology accentuates differences and makes those kind of cohes- that cohesiveness much more difficult to achieve? Well, I suppose this goes. I mean, we've talked about identity a few times uh, before, Tom, um, but. I suppose we we have to talk about just briefly this time. Um, I think that a cohesive identity for a healthy society is very necessary. We have to have some sort of cohesive uh, civic consciousness in order for there to be a healthy society in our country. It's always been like that in history. You always did have to have something that would, almost like a social contract, as, uh, as political theorists like to talk about. But within that matrix of cohesiveness, you can have lots of uh, different 
elements and different ways of doing things. Um, if we have a question, what does it mean to be British? Uh, there needs to be um, agreement that uh, the answer contains certain fundamental elements, and those fundamental elements, you know, are standard. But then on top of it, I think that there's uh, it's it's very healthy, very safe, and really quite necessary in a diverse society such as our own uh, to have multiple right answers. So, what does it mean to be British? Run off a list of sort of ten things. Um, which we're all talking about at the moment. What are those 10 things? But let's just say that we have 10 things. Then on top of them, there can be 10 optional things that, uh, you know, change from person to person, community to community. Is being a man uh, a necessary component of British identity? No. But does that mean that the British man and the British woman and the British woman are not both British? No, of course they're both British, but they're British in different ways. And... Okay, these, uh, these are, uh, that's a very uh, different example from religious communities, but the point is, is that you can have commonality, agreement, consensus on particular issues that really define what it means to be a member of our society. And I would say that respect for the law and respect for institutions um, are two fundamental things. But beyond that, I think that there are multiple right answers in doing things. And history is witness to the fact that this can take place, and that in fact, if it doesn't, it's usually a recipe for disaster, because no society is homogeneous. It never has been, especially the UK. Do you think the? I mean, do you think the current debate is risks becoming a cause celeb for the um, the fundamentalist elements within um, Islamic society? I think that you have a very dangerous possibility that this can become um, a very active rallying cry for all sorts of extremists from within the Muslim community and also from within the non-Muslim community. Within the Muslim community, let, let, me, uh, let me just do a bit of a, a sort of a case study here. Within the Muslim community, support for the Naqab within the Muslim community as something to actually be uh, operationalized was very, very low. We're having this huge discussion about um, women in Naqab. Uh, but they probably account for about 5% of the overall Muslim community, a community that is about 3% of the whole of the UK. Imagine that. You know, I mean, we're talking about 5% of 3% of the UK, and this is all of the attention that we've been giving it. Incredible. But out of that 3%, only a few people decided that it was something that should be actually operationalized. And you had a lot of people arguing against it, even though they upheld the right of ladies to where the face fail, they said, no, this isn't a good idea. This uh, creates trouble for yourself. This creates trouble for the wider community. Um, it's not something that is mandatory in your religion, etc., etc., etc. Now, on the other hand, you have commentators, you have community spokespeople, you have all sorts of sections of the Muslim community having to defend the face fail, not because they defend the face fail, but because they defend the right of the Muslim lady to wear the face veil if she so chooses, even though they disagree with her. This is a very classical Voltairean concept. Even though they disagree with her, they uphold the right for her to do so. But you will definitely get um, far-right uh, sections of the Muslim community that will say, see, this is yet another sign of the West, um, the great Satan of the UK and the United States, trying to wage yet another battle in the war against Islam. They'll start with the naqab, and then they'll go into the headscarf and the hijab, and before you know it, uh, men will have to run around without having beards, and 
uh, they'll uh, be told that they can't pray anymore and the mosques will be turned into discotheques. And, you know, you can just imagine the crazy discourse that will happen. But because of the increased pressure on the Muslim community uh, that has been very vivid in the media since the 7th of July in the UK in particular, but ever since September 11th, um, and then it's grown since the, uh, this past summer with the airport scare plot, um, because of all of that pressure, people will, will sympathize with some of that discourse if, uh, if politicians aren't careful. The other set of extremists that I am personally quite worried about, um, and I think we should be more worried about, are the extremists from within the non-Muslim community. Because, this will defin- because the whole topic about identity is something that is spreading beyond uh, the far right or the religious right or certain sections of uh, the wider British community. It's going throughout the British community, whether it's in the center, whether it's in the left, whether it's in the right. And you can see that through some of the commentary that's been going on in the media, but you can also see it um, in attacks that have taken place. The day, uh, a few, uh, within a few days of Jack Stewart pronouncing his uh, little statement in the, that regional newspaper, um, a lady was attacked in Liverpool. Um, an imam was, was physically attacked in his own mosque in Glasgow, uh, by some far-right extremists. Uh, both of these things were reported as hate crimes, and it's not um, out of this world to consider that more things like this will become more common because the wider community will also see hmm, this community is even being marginalized by our mainstream politicians. Maybe there really is something, and it just takes just a little bit to push someone over the edge in deciding, well, this is morally acceptable and this isn't morally acceptable. So where did Jack Straw go wrong then? Was it a question of um, the fact that he that he asks people to remove the veil when meeting with them or the fact that he's actually written about it? I think both. I think very much both. He is not in the... Uh, well, see, here's the thing, uh, Tom. As a constituency representative... Any person who goes to see him, if, she, if he or she is a member of the constituency, has every right to expect that unless she, he or she breaks the law, they have access. And there, should be no slight, and there shouldn't be the slightest bit of limitation of that right. Not the slightest bit. Now, he didn't say to anybody, look, you have to take this off when you come in here. But quite frankly, he wouldn't be able to do that because that would be against the law. Um, but what he did was make the suggestion, do you mind taking it off? Could you please take it off? And that would be fine if he were inviting them into his home where they have to adhere to his own particular likes or dislikes of what you know, constitutes acceptable behavior, but not in his constituency office because there he is not Jack Straw. There he is a public servant. And as a public servant, he is obliged to respond to the needs of his constituents um, up to a particular point, and you know, obviously, if they want to come in and sort of, you know, start waving guns around, then <laughs> that's not really allowed. But nothing like that happened when uh, someone in the club came in. Uh, he felt uncomfortable. That's fine. So what? He can feel com- uncomfortable about seeing a very badly dressed man walking through his office with, you know, bright polka dots for for all anybody cares. Um, it's not his business to tell them, look, 
I, I don't feel comfortable in this. You should be doing this because, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being with these particular cultural sensibilities and you're a human being and, you know, why can't we uh, come to sort of compromise? He's, he's not there to issue that sort of uh, statement to anybody. He's not there to define the parameters of the discussion. He is there to listen. He's not there to tell. And what he was doing was telling. And as, as uh, someone in his position should know, just by the mere fact that he raised this issue in that context, means that he is very subtly um, using a power that he has. The, uh, the lady who came, who knows what, uh, what sort of comfort zone she had to break out of in order to come to his office in the first place. Jack Straw is not a popular politician in the UK at the best of times, um, like most politicians in the UK, right? Um, and particularly in the Muslim community, owing to the Iraq war, and owing to other issues that have taken place over the last 10, 15 years, despite you know, his, uh, his approval rating from many different parts of, of the UK. And who knows what sort of comfort zone that that lady had to break out of in order to go see him in the first place. And then to get there and be told, you know, uh, I, I don't really approve of the way that you're dressed. Could you please turn around and do that? Would, would he do the same thing to uh, a Hasidic Jew who came in with, uh, you know, uh, very uh, ultra-Orthodox clothing? Would he do the same thing to uh, a nun who came and, you know, was dressed as a nun? Or maybe even with a veil, you know, <laughs> who knows? No, he wouldn't. And this is an expression of his power against uh, a tiny community that is already feeling marginalized. So that's, that's the first thing that I think was wrong. He shouldn't have raised it with that particular lady anyway. He does have many opportunities to discuss this sort of issue with uh, members of the Muslim community. I know because he's discussed it uh, with many different parts of the community that have been reported. And he's discussed it with academics. Um, both inside, uh, I think, and outside the Muslim community, I believe. Um, I know that he raised this a topic with me when I was uh, working uh, uh, with uh, some civil service departments on uh, issues related to the Muslim community. That's different. It's not the same thing when you have a constituent come to you and ask for advice and for assistance and for help about your situation. The second thing is that Putting it into the newspaper like that, that raises it to a wholly, completely different level. By putting it in that newspaper, he was not simply writing an article. He is a politician. His words have a certain amount of weight, and they carry um, a certain amount of weight, regardless of where they are. If he said this in Parliament, it would have been very bad. But he did it in a local newspaper, it still counts. It still defines the debate. And immediately people were asked to get involved. Or, you know, they, they didn't have engraved invitations, but people were writing in, people were commenting in various media outlets, and politicians were jumping in. But the people who had the most to say about this were Muslims, but they didn't have the opportunity or the access to do so. And if you look at the commentaries that have gone on since Jack Straw made a statement, and if you look at how the discussion has developed, people are talking about the Muslim community, they're talking about Muslim women, but Muslim women are not the actors in this discussion. They are the subjects. That's an expression of power. And that power, as far as I'm concerned, was abused. Thank you very much.